Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We are uh, in the book of Acts. Thank you for coming forward. This is, I can see you. It's much easier. Book of Acts. And we started a series last week. And it's called Acts Empowered for Life. And we're looking at the major themes of the book of Acts, where Jesus' uh, mission is continued through ordinary men and women that are filled with His Spirit. And last week we saw Jesus, uh, He's been resurrected from the dead, and He tells His disciples during a 40-day period to wait in Jerusalem uh, for a gift from the Father, um, that the church or the, the followers of Jesus would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, then he says, you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses. And we talked about witness as our lives pointing to Jesus. That witness is not just about sharing our faith, although that's part of it. It's about living in such a way that your life brings evidence and testimony of the resurrection of Christ. And that's what we're commissioned to be as, the follower, as followers of Jesus. Whether you've said yes to a prayer, whether you've been baptized, whether you're just joining this church, if you're, if you're interested, that's what we're called to be at the garden. Individuals that live in corporate relationships and community that reflect Christ to the world. Not just with our words, but with our actions, with our hearts, with our characters, with our very essence of our nature. That's what God comes to do in us through the power of His Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Okay. I want to talk today about Pentecost. Because... um, Acts chapter 2 it has divided the church for some reason. But Acts chapter 2 tells the story of when the church started. The church wasn't around forever. The church we know actually, it was started over 2,000 years ago at 9 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. So you guys would have missed it because you're at 1115. <laughs> so would 915 because they, they got here at 945. So um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, so the church started then. When it was filled with the Spirit of God. And I want to talk about what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit as a church? What does it mean for us today? But before I get into that story, I want to give us perspective of a grand narrative. Because um, I'm a huge fan of the Scriptures, if you haven't already um, noticed. Uh, I love the Word of God. I, I think that as followers of Jesus, we should be reading the Word of God every single day. I believe that we should be... Um, Opening up the scriptures, a, a book, or whether you don't have time and you go on version, I'm not against version or your phones, but getting, the, getting into the Word. But what we have to see is that uh, the scripture is all one giant story, one giant love story um, that has to do with God redeeming all things to himself. That's the goal. And Acts chapter 2, is, Acts is written by Luke, who is absolutely brilliant. And Luke is so intentional in what he writes. He uses language and words and imagery and stories in a way that pull us um, uh, backwards and forwards. He, he, he connects the Old Testament because he's writing uh, history. He's, in the book of Acts, he's telling you uh, what happened, but he doesn't want you to know just what happened. He's writing you a theological narrative. He wants you to know what it means as a follower of Jesus what the implications are for us. And so as we read Acts, we have, we have to filter his imagery uh, through the lens of the Old Testament because everyone reading it for the first time, if they were from a Jewish context, they would have understood what he was doing. 
And so Acts chapter 2 is a significant story that we need to understand from a biblical lens. So if you would, um, to, today we're going we're gonna to look at it from part 1, Pen, uh, Pentecost part 1. Next week we'll look at it uh, from a different angle, if you will. So I'm going to take these next two Sundays to teach this talk, okay? You guys with me? That's the groundwork. So Acts chapter 2, let's go there, and um, we'll start off, let's read the first four verses together, and then we'll go through kind of a Bible study, and then we'll land together with what are the implications for us today. So, uh, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So it begins in Acts chapter 2. What he says when they say they were all together, he's referring to the followers of Jesus, the 120 or so that gathered, men and women that were followers of Jesus, gathered together in Jerusalem to wait for this promised Holy Spirit. And Luke begins Acts chapter 2, and it says, When the day of Pentecost came. Okay, I want you to circle Pentecost and came. Pentecost uh, is a Greek word that means 50th, and it was a time that the Jewish community celebrated uh, what was called the Festival of Weeks. Now, the Jewish festival Pentecost came 50 days after Passover. So Pentecost 50th comes 50 days after Passover. What happened around Passover? Do you remember? Right around that time with Jesus and his followers, do you know what happened? Jesus died on the cross? Okay, so Jesus died <laughs> Right around Passover, Jesus died on the cross. Okay, we're all, are you guys with me now? <laughs> I'm going back to 915, man. We're done. Just kidding. So, 40 days, he raises from the de- dead on Sunday morning on Easter. 40 days go by. He teaches about the kingdom. He's with his followers. He says to wait in Jerusalem about 40 days after Passover. So, 10 more days is Pentecost. Pentecost is a significant season festival for the Jewish community. You see, they believed as the Israelites that God spoke to them in history. In the book of Exodus, we read about this story. That they were freed as slaves in Egypt and God chose them to represent Him on earth. That they were a select group of people chosen by God for a task, given a new identity. And the Israelites reoriented their entire existence around the law. The, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The, the, it's called the Torah. How many of you know this? Okay, a few of us. Good. The Torah, the first five books of our Old Testament, um, was seen as the way of life. The law brought unity. The law brought um, uh, purpose and identity. It showed them how to live um, as, as God's people. And so uh, what Pentecost came to represent was it came to represent two different Jewish festivals because um, as a Jew, you, you, your whole calendar and, and week was reoriented to the law. So you take a Sabbath every seven days um, and you celebrate these festivals along the way, Passover being one of them, and Pentecost or the Festival of Weeks became the other festival. You with me? Now, the Festival of Weeks represents two Jewish holidays. The first one is called the Celebration of Harvest. Okay, it's where the Jewish community would bring the first fruits in their agricultural society to the temple and offer it to God as a thanksgiving offering where they recognize it's Yahweh who provides everything for them. So they would bring 10% of everything they have, the first fruits, and lay it back to God, give it back to God in a celebration offering, and they would party for, those, for the festival of weeks. They'd just throw a big party giving back what, what's already God's in the first place. Are you with me? 
that's, that's part of what it means to celebrate the Festival of Weeks. But the other thing it celebrated was what happened at Sinai. This became the second most important Jewish holiday. It represented the law being given to the Israelites and the, new co- or the covenant that was made between Yahweh and Israelites. It represented this identity, this community, having been pulled out of slavery and brought into a right relationship with God and being commissioned to be a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. This is what Sinai represented. Now, uh, most of us know the story, but I want to go there so we see what's happening and what happened in Exodus and what happened in Acts chapter 2. Because there's all of these parallels. And Luke is wanting you to know that something is happening when the Holy Spirit falls in the church. So, if you would, go to Exodus chapter 19. And let's read this together. And I would really like you to go there. If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles up here. Um, we'd love to give you a Bible. If you don't have one at home, you can take ours. We have some nice Bibles in the back as well if you, if you don't have one. Um, I'm going to be doing my best to just, th- this particular talk, share, going through the Scriptures so we see how it's connected. Um, I love that you got up and grabbed a Bible. Great work. She's leading worship too. How awesome is that? It's good. It's good. Okay, Exodus 19, verse 4. This is uh, God talking to Moses, to the rest of the Israelites. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on an eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. All the, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God says to the Israelites, you're going to be my people if you keep my, com- my covenant, if you keep my commands. Um, and so the law becomes a thing that unifies them in identity and mission. Okay, Um, but what happens next is God says, hey, go and prepare yourselves. They're at the base of the mountain. Go and spend a few days preparing yourselves to meet with me and we will make this covenant. I will give you the law and you will be my people. And the rabbis, the way they talk about this event, they talk about it like it's a wedding. They talk about um, the Israelites preparing themselves like a bride would prepare herself for a, a wedding day. That they cleanse themselves. And then, and then it, it shows what happens when God goes to meet his new bride. He says this in Exodus 19 still, verse 17. Uh, what happens is that then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now, just imagine a giant mountain, okay? Do you see a big mountain in your head? Okay. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. Fire, violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. So the picture we have of of God bringing down his law from heaven is fire descending on a mountain, smoke billowing up, and this this earthquake and this this thunderous lightning and, and this violent trembling. Are you with me? So, go to the next slide. Uh, in the Old Testament, it says, uh, when it says the Lord descended with fire, an Old Testament metaphor for the presence of God is fire. So whenever you see God in, in Exodus, he'll lead the people out of Egypt through what? At night, a pillar of fire or a pillar of smoke during the day. Fire represented the presence of God. Okay, um, mountains trembled violently. I just want you to keep these words in your head as we go back to Exodus, or Acts chapter 2. So the Festival of Weeks celebrated this specific event. It represented the time when God married the Israelites and promised to be their God if they would fulfill His commands and covenant. It was, uh, and, and so the Festival of Weeks was uh, people from all over the world that were Jewish came to Jerusalem 
to renew their vows. They came to celebrate the renewal of covenant. It was a big deal. Go to the next slide. So, um, go back to Acts chapter 2. So when we talk about Pentecost, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about God freeing the Israelites, bringing the law, bringing unity, calling them to a mission and a task, giving them an identity of being a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. Uh, In other language, you could say that God wants the Israelites to represent him on earth. That's what a priest does. A priest is an intercessor. A priest represents God to the people and the people back to God. And as a holy nation, they're called to be set apart. Holy means set apart. And what does that mean? It means to live in such a way that represents God, that when people see the way you live, they have to say there has to be a God. That's the task that they were given with this relationship of God's presence in their life. So when, when Luke says with one verse, when the day of Pentecost came, we have to pause. Um, came is the word fulfilled in Greek. When the day of Pentecost was fulfilled. When the day that you celebrate as a people the covenant of God, when the, the day that you celebrate God making you and giving you an identity and a mission, the day that you celebrate uh, the law coming down from heaven, the day that you celebrate being the people of God, when that was fulfilled is what he says. So Luke is saying it's fulfilled in what's about to happen. You with me? So if you were a Jew in the first century and Luke was writing this to you, your, your bells or your alarms or your signals or your ding, 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 things were going off. All the lights were flashing. This is important. So when the day of Pentecost came, you recognize all that backstory had, had happened. Uh, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, verse 2, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Does that sound familiar? Okay, like the blowing of a a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. And they were where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So it's a violent wind. And remember, wind um, in Greek is the word pneuma, which is the word for spirit and breath. And in the Old Testament, that's the same word for ruach, which is the same word, wind, breath, and spirit. It's this this word of, uh, of wind, breath, and spirit. Pneuma is right there. So the spirit... It's, it's filling the room with like a wind that came from heaven and filled the whole house and it shook violently. And it says that uh, what seemed to be tongues of fire that rested on each of them. So fire represents the presence of God resting on each of them. Now, most of us, we just skip right through this. So fire represents the presence of God resting on each of them. Brothers and sisters, there had never been a point in human history where the presence of God rested on everyone equally until this moment. Part two next week, I'm going to go into detail of this, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Who is the Holy Spirit? But what we see in the Old Testament is a spirit that rests on specific people uh, for a specific purpose at a specific time or occasion. So it rests on David. It rests on Samson and Gideon and priests and, and prophets. Um, and we see it for a specific reason. Like the Gideon is, is filled with the Spirit to do something, do a task. In Exodus, an, an artist is filled with the Spirit to, to build the tabernacle and the, the arts, art stuff in the tabernacle. Art stuff, that's very clever. Um, <laughs> so, but what the, the point is, up until now... Only specific people were filled with the Holy Spirit. But Luke is saying, wait, the Spirit rests, the presence of God through this fiery tongue rests on everyone, each of them uniquely. 
all of a sudden, Luke is saying, in one way, everyone is now Moses. What do I mean? Well, check this out. In Exodus, I want to just drive this point. Next slide. In Exodus 33, at this point, Moses was the great intercessor for the Israelites. All right, so Exodus chapter 20 to 31, the law is given to Moses. He writes it down, and it's, it's all in the Old Testament. And after that, he, he has this dialogue. Go back real quick. He has this dialogue where he's like, hey, uh, verse, thir- verse 12, lead the, you've told me to lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me, but if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I know that you... Um, and so I know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. This is Moses talking to God. How great is that? Remember, you, you're going to forget. We're your people. Um, and, and the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses pleads about letting him see his glory. And Moses sees his glory and Moses experiences the presence of God. And look at the next verse or next chapter, chapter 34. This is what happens. Moses experiences the presence of God. And when he comes back down from the mountain, he didn't, it says this, when Moses came down from the Mount, Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. So literally his face sh- uh, was shining. And so he would have to put on a veil to cover his face to talk to the people when he was after he was in the presence of God. So Luke is drawing all of this into his story of Acts, that with the presence of God resting on everyone, he's saying, we are all now intercessors. We don't need a Moses to intercede for us. The Spirit of God, we all have access to the presence of God in our lives. Where it was a unique thing for people in, uh, in the Old Testament, we now as a church are to be people of presence. We are to carry the presence of God. Go to the next slide. Moses, Moses experienced the glory of God, and then he reflected the presence of God to everyone else. We are all now able to do this as followers of Jesus when we are filled with the Spirit. Okay, I had a great illustration last service, and it doesn't work now, but some guy, for some reason, thinks it's too dark in here when he's reading his Bible, so he brought glasses with lights on it. So as, as he would read his Bible, there was a bright light in the front row, and then he would look up, and it was like a spotlight on me. But it worked perfect, because I was like, it's, Moses was kind of like this, and I borrowed his glasses, turned around, and the light was right there. It was, it was absolutely brilliant. I just had to explain it to you. I guess you had to be there to experience it for yourself. Which makes the point. Luke is letting us know that something unique is going on. Pentecost is fulfilled. Let's continue to read this story. Verse 5, um, or verse 4, all of them... Wait, go to, go to the... Yeah, okay, we're, we're in the right place. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound... A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Pergia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya and Serene. Near Serene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. So the story goes on 
And, and it, be, it, they be, it gets a little strange. Have you ever had an experience where um, you tried to articulate it to somebody else after it happened and you, you, the, the language you chose just didn't communicate it clearly or you just get frustrated at the end and you, just have to, you, you respond by saying, I guess you just had to experience it for yourself. I guess you just had to be there. Have you ever had that experience? Um, in Luke's recording of this, I think there's, there's some things in there that we need to understand. Maybe this illustration will help. My, my wife and I, when we started dating um, in 2004, in 2004 we went to a concert at the Troubadour in, in L.A. And we saw one of our favorite artists at the time, a guy named Damien Rice. You guys remember Damien Rice? And it, at the time, his album, Oh, was blowing up. It was absolutely amazing. We had just started dating, and there we were the troubadour and the stage was probably a little bit bigger than this um it's a small venue and 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 he we were standing right like right here where i could if i just like if i was crazy i could have reached out and touched him i mean i was that close to him and he played for three and a half hours and it was one of the most amazing concerts i had ever been to it was it was it was so cool we were dating and uh, uh, at one point, he played on for three and a half hours. At one point, he came back on and brought out Herbie Hancock. And Lisa Hannigan, Hannigan was there. And the celloist was there. I mean, the original band. And they were playing this music. And the song Delicate came on. And uh, Alex, at the time, turned. And we just started kissing. Um, I said at the last service, we started making out. And it's true. We started making out right there. Um, and she's like, it's a little graphic for you to be talking about. Uh, say kissing. I'm like, no, I want to say making out. She's like, no, say kissing. So now I brought you into our marriage. So we were making out. I guess you had to be there, okay? So you had to experience it for yourself. Um, and we were standing for three and a half hours, and we got done at like 2 a.m., and we were like walking out. It was like our ears were like pounding, you know, like that fuzzy sound that you have, and our legs were throbbing, and, and we were like, what just happened to us? And, and, and if I was to, as I explain it, I'm telling you, words like magical and transcendent and divine and, and intimate and romantic, those words are helpful and descriptive. Would you agree? But if someone, some of you were like, hey, Darren, how do I get married? And I started using that story prescriptive as, a, as, as a prescriptively to you. Like, this is how you get married. You go to the troubadour. You listen to Damien Rice. You put on, you make out at Delicate. If that became, uh, <laughs> that might work, actually. So if, if, uh, if that became prescriptive, it could become harmful. But the truth is within the description. There is truth to the story. There's something meaningful that we can all draw from. Would you agree? Because we've all had experiences that we could say are similar to what I just described. Most of us have. where We've had intimate um, moments with an artist that we love or something like that. So, so as we describe this scene... I think Luke is not only giving us a theological narrative and drawing from the Old Testament, but as the first-hand witnesses of what happened, we have to recognize people were using all sorts of language to describe what was unbelievable to them. Have you ever had that experience in a church service? Or have you ever been prayed for and something happened, and, and that experience itself changed you, and then you, you tried to explain it even to a spouse, and they just don't get it? Because you have to experience it for yourself. And that's true of the Holy Spirit for us today, that we have to experience Him. Not, he's, he's not a power. He's a person. We have to experience Him for ourselves. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how it, t- it takes off in verse 4. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, this, for, some, for whatever reason, is so controversial. 
Um, I'm going to sit for a second. <clears throat> I'm getting sore uh, and tired. Can you guys see me? Yeah. Okay, because you guys came close. Thank you. So, tongues, for whatever reason, has, has become this divisive piece, divisive thing, in, a divisive gift in the church. And the truth is, when the Holy Spirit filled the church for the first time, they all spoke in what, in this particular passage, if you circle that, that's, maybe your Bible says other languages, because it's true, the, word, the Greek word is xenoelia, and that means other known languages. So all sorts of people from all over the world that were gathering for, for Pentecost, gathering to celebrate the Festival of Weeks, were there um, to celebrate the renewal of covenant. And as these followers are worshiping Jesus, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in other known languages. Okay? And the Bible talks about another type of tongues, and that's glossolalia. That is unknown heavenly language. Um, And for those of us that speak in unknown heavenly language, glossolalia, it's a totally normal thing. It's It's for today. Do you guys know, tongues are for today. I had an experience um, where I was in, uh, I was in London, and I was uh, praying with a group of about 50 pastors from all over the world that were planning churches in all over the world. And uh, I was 22 at the, 23 at the time, and I was, um, uh, I had never really been in a context where the gifts were, were active and vibrant and, and totally normal. Um, have any of you been a part of those? Some of us have had experiences where the gifts are normal, where, where it's totally normal to see prophecy and words of knowledge and healing and tongues and interpretation. And so there I was and I was figuring it out. And uh, I uh, thanks for the break. I needed that break. And uh, and this little young girl comes. She was uh, uh, probably 24 herself and she was married to another pastor and she comes up and prays this prayer and she's weeping and it's in French and I'm just like, oh, it's got to be powerful. And, and, and then she stops and her husband goes, my wife doesn't speak French. Can someone translate that word? And I was like, what? What do you mean she doesn't speak? What, what she, she, clearly, I could tell, like I've seen movies and, <laughs> and uh, the, the couple that was planning a church that they didn't know, they were from a different part of the world, uh, they were playing a church in, uh, I think, uh, Marseille, and um, they're, they're, they're weeping hysterically, going, how do you not speak French? And they go on to tell, to interpret the word. It was a known language. It was French. Um, and they interpreted the word, and it was very specific to that couple that was afraid to plant, and they, it gave them all the confirmation they needed to go and do their very thing. And it was so specific to the point of who, what individual names to bring along, where, what street to start on. I mean, it was that detailed, and this little girl just showed up and did her thing. This woman, excuse me. And you know what happened in that moment? You know what happened? We felt the presence of God, and we all just started worshiping. We all just started praising God. What happened here with tongues? The function of speaking in tongues is praise being given to God so all people can hear. Here's another thing about Pentecost. Luke is letting us know that Pentecost is the reversal of Babel. At the Tower of Babel, humanity had one language. And as they build a monument of pride, a tower reaching to heaven, they were displacing God in their lives. And God used language to disperse humanity so that in their lack of cooperation, disunity took place in order to bring unity and redemption. And we see Genesis 11 in the Tower of Babel being completed in Acts chapter 2 as 
Every language under heaven, it says in Acts chapter 2, is being spoken at the first church service. And what people hear are not songs of disunity, but one song, one language, one spirit worshiping God. Tongues were used to bring unity to the church and unity to the world. Are you with me? But it's become divisive because for some reason we've used it as prescriptive rather than descriptive. Do you see the difference? It's not about, do you have to speak in tongues as a Christian? No. Do you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit? No. It's about how much you want to be a part with God. How much do you want of God? Do you want the gifts? Do you want to have power for mission? Do you want to have life in in, in the death that you're living? Do you want to have freedom from anxiety? Do you want to have healing? It's a, a matter of heart and will and inviting God into your life. And not everything is healed and you're not always going to have every gift. And, and things are not, are, are not complete because Jesus hasn't come back yet. And we live still in a corrupt world that's being renewed. Are you with me? But we can have more. We can have more. And so the Holy Spirit fills ordinary men and women and uses language to unite the world. The gospel is going out to all the nations nations at the first service, at the first gathering of the church. Here's what's crazy. At the end of Acts chapter 2, we'll look at it next week, 3,000 people are saved. What are we supposed to do? 3,000 people are saved and baptized. There's a mega church at the first church gathering. What's interesting about this, and I'm going to touch, about it next, touch on it next week, is when the law came down, the Israelites were worshiping uh, uh, an, an idol. Do you remember this story, a golden calf? And you know what happens next in the story? The Levites go and kill the men that were doing that, and it, it tells you how many people died when the law came down. Do you know how many people died? 3,000. Do you think that this story is connected? Yes. Luke is making it clear there is a story being fulfilled at Pentecost. So the next slide, I want to make a couple of observations about this text, if you will. Wow, we're running out of time. Um, That's okay. I don't mind. Um, (laughs) A couple of observations. Number one, all gathered together waiting for the gift from the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, when we come to church on Sunday morning, I don't see this as an event for you. (laughs) I see this as a place where we all participate in the game. This is where everyone gets to play. Some of us get here at 7 to set up as volunteers and lead worship. Some of us wake up at 5 and practice their message so that you guys can have a a well-caffeinated pastor on Sunday morning. The 915 really appreciates it. Some of us are are doing parking ministry. Some of us aren't even in here because we're serving the kids and the youth right now. Some of us are here setting up hospitality. Some of us are welcoming. A lot of us are just coming in. And we're coming in at 11.45. And I don't know what your schedule is in. And this this isn't a challenge. I'm just, actually it is a challenge. I'll take that back. I believe God's going to do something unique to the garden. I believe he's doing something unique. I believe we will see a powerful spiritual impact in the city of Long Beach. But it's not going to become, it's not going to happen until we know how to worship God first. Until we gather together and worship the risen Jesus with everything. We can come in with our coffee. We can come in late. We can come in distracted with our hands in our pockets. But brothers and sisters, Jesus died with his hands open so that you can be freely in relationship with him. 
And I don't know about you, but the more and more I understand that, the more and more I can't help myself but give everything back to Him. So the Spirit comes because the, gather, the people of God are waiting. like They're following what Jesus said to do. Wait in Jerusalem. And the Spirit comes. And then um, the other observation is all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them were, were filled together with the Holy Spirit. So this event is both corporate and individually experienced. So it's something that happens to us, but it's also something that happens to you. Does, do, you know the, do you know that? Like, so, so when you come to Sunday, as, a, as, a, as, a, as we come as a community, this is something we're all participating in, and it's something that we, we individually experience as well, that the Spirit rests uniquely on each individual. Some of you are going to experience the Holy Spirit in a very unique way. Some of you are going to get cry. Some of you are going to laugh. Some of you are going to sit in, uh, in contemplation and experience the presence of God. That's good. We experience it together. Some of you aren't going to experience anything. Can we be okay with that? Your obedience is showing up to be a part of the community. It's not about you. For those of you that come to church, and if you're new, welcome. I usually do this at starting line. And you say, hey, what does this church have for me? You're already asking the wrong question. <laughs> Someone's laughing. That's great. <laughs> oh, do you have this ministry? Do you have that? Um, uh, I don't know. Do you want to lead it? Um, the Holy Spirit goes back. Go back real quick. The Holy Spirit does something in each of them. So I carry this. So here's a sponge. It's a dry sponge. And part of my obedience this, last, this week was Monday I was cleaning the dishes, um, which I do regularly. Husbands, you should serve your wives by cleaning dishes and laundry. Um, you're welcome, ladies. <laughs> Women's retreat? Yeah. Oh, man, I can really digress. I'm going to stop right there. So there I was, and God's like, hey, put that on your desk. I, I literally felt like, okay, I'm going to do it. So... As weird as it was, I put it on, on my desk and it sat there all week drying up in this crazy heat. Interesting. It was one of the hottest weeks and I just watched it shrivel and get really hard. And, um, and I, didn't, I brought it today. I'm like, I don't even know what it's for. And then I realized that uh, this, is, this is us. And for many of you, this is you. Where Sunday is the only place that you get water. This designed to clean and to be moist, and to be something that's useful, but as a dried-up sponge, I could literally break this in half. It's no longer used for its intended purpose. So many of you have so much pain and resentment and bitterness, and you're so self-consumed and worried about your stuff and your life and your dreams, and, and that this, this just becomes like a check off the list rather than something that you bring in fully saturated from the songs you've been singing all week so that when you show up on Sunday morning, you get to give it back. And give it to others. So many of you are here and you're desperate and you're thirsty and you're dying inside. And you're this dried up sponge and God wants to fill you. But I don't think he wants to fill you like, oh, let's pour some water on you. I think he wants to throw you in the ocean. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean that the creator of the universe wants to dwell inside of us and empower us? Because he does something in you, but then he also does something through you. What happens um, is that the spirit of God fills the people and, and, and they begin to speak in tongues and they participated in that. But then the Holy Spirit does something through them. They begin to worship God and proclaim the gospel. When asked, what do we do? The crowd is bewildered and confused. 
What do we do? And they say, repent and believe. They become, they become, it's not about, hey, I'm experiencing this Holy Spirit. Look how cool I am. And all, this is all about me. It was about, it's you experience something for the sake of witness. So the gatherings are, are a fill-up station for some of us. But it's also a place that we give. And it's a place where we remind ourselves that the battle is going on out there. It's not happening here. The stuff that we're talking about is for the streets, the workplaces, the neighbors, the homes, the places you go to to hang out, your hobbies. Seven, people who weren't filled with the Holy Spirit didn't understand what was going on. The outside didn't understand what was happening inside. Have you ever had that experience, especially in church service? Anyone? I mean, it could literally be the person next to you. I was at this conference where I was a speaker, and for whatever reason, this one guy, when the Spirit came on him, he was just like doing this thing. And it was like, okay, is that you? Are you a runner? Like, what's the problem? Like, I was so cynical. He was right next to me. And like, our, one time I was, I was sitting or something, and there he was on his back laying down, eyes closed, doing this thing. I'm like, gosh, that is so weird. But you know, <laughs> I don't know why I'm telling the story. The look on his face was like he knew something I didn't know. And despite how awkward it was for me, he didn't care. And as I look back on that story, I wished I had what he had. Some people are going to get it. Some people aren't. Next, next point is those that were filled with the Holy Spirit understood that it's not just for them, but it's for everyone else. The Holy Spirit is for everyone. It's for all of us to experience. I want to um, bring up my buddy. So here's the last question. What? So, yeah, so Peter will preach that. Go to the next one. Um, what happens when you are filled with the Holy Spirit today? John, will you come up here? Um, I'm going to close with John's story. Or I have, I have one more closing, but I'm going to bring John up real quick. Because I want to normalize. I want to make this whole thing normal. The church is to be a spirit-filled community where God does stuff. Okay? In us and through us. Uh, John is a friend. He's an elder. There you go, buddy. Would you just explain what happened when you were filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time? Yes. So, my name is John. I was, uh, back in the days when I could do spontaneous dinners when I didn't have a child, uh, Darren and Alex invited us over for dinner one night uh, with their friends, Chris and Peter. Um, Chris and John, I'm sorry. Chris and John. John Peters. And uh, so we had dinner with them. Uh, they're, they're the ones that are going to be help facilitating the Holy Spirit conference that we're having in June. So this is, a part of, this is our first year doing that conference here uh, for the garden. And so kind of get an introduction for them and everything. Um, we had a great dinner, and afterwards they said, hey, can we pray for you, you and your wife? And I said, of course, of course you can pray for us. Well, I want you to stand up. I said, okay. Do you want to hear my prayer request? No, I don't want to hear your prayer request. I just want to invite God into what he is doing and into what I, I feel God is doing for you. I said, okay, great. I want you to stand and um, have your palms open and, and just receive. And I said, okay, that's fine with me. And sometimes God gives us pictures. Sometimes God gives us images. Um, sometimes they're from us. Sometimes they're from him. And so the way that Chris, one of the, the guys that was praying for me, delivered it was saying, hey, John, you know, as they're praying, this is about five minutes into it, um, said, hey, John, I have a picture for you. It's a very American image, but I have a picture of you on the Little League field, and you're wondering where your father is. And like Darren was trying to describe what it was like to be on that date with Alex, it was indescribable, the feeling that I had. I felt like my heart was ripped out of my chest. I felt like a bolt of lightning literally hit me uh, because I hit the floor so hard that I probably bruised my knees. I probably you know, hurt myself actually hitting the floor so hard. But it, it, 
was the only reaction that I could have. Um, so much so that it was so loud that the neighbors downstairs called 911, almost called 911, thinking that Darren Alex were getting robbed. Yeah. And so... Hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Like, the guy was ready no, was coming playing. upstairs cool. ready to fight. Cool. Yeah, it was fine. Uh, and so, just background, why, why did that hit me? Well, I mean, Chris had no idea about me. He just met me a few hours before. And um, my parents were divorced when I was 13 years old. And uh, I was in a Little League game, um, a Little League throughout my entire youth. And my dad was a great just a time for us, just the typical father-son baseball. And um, always in the backyard throwing the ball. He'd always beat all my practices, all my games. Divorce happened, and those became fewer and fewer and fewer. And um, that was kind of the theme. And this image brought back to, to me, brought back to when I was a little kid, wondering if my father was going to be at my games, looking in the field. And... Uh, what I experienced was immense pain, a wound that I had no idea I still carried. All, all the counseling sessions and everything, I thought I had dealt with it. I hadn't dealt with it. And the Spirit, Holy Spirit wanted to bring me to a place that said, I want to heal you, John. And so um, I spoke in tongues for the first time. Um, never had an experience really before with it. Didn't either have, it wasn't for or against it. Just said, okay, it's there, but it's not something that I, I really can relate to. But I... I can tell you it was the only thing that could, I could speak. It was a language that, that was for me and for me alone and, and my relationship with God. So the best way I can describe it is that every word I said, God, where, uh, God, where were you when my father left me? John, I was here the whole time. Mm. God, why have you abandoned me? John, I've been with you this entire time. I've protected mm. you. I love you. I'm so sorry this happened to you. And it turned from this mourning to praise. And mm. I was filled with so much love that... And my wife's freaking out, by the way. She's, like, crying. Like, what have you done to my husband? I'm, like, <laughs> literally rolling on the ground. Yeah. They had to move the furniture away. I'm not kidding. Like, I didn't care. Wait, and not only that, like, I, it was going on for so long. I had to drive John and Chris home. Like, so John's there having this little thing. And it's, like, just rolling around, you know, crying, saying stuff we don't know. As he's, like, there's so much love. And, you know, and then I'm, like, I'll be back. And so I drove them home because they had the conference the next day. And then came back to John just like, the, you know, the tears. Yeah, go. I, was, I was literally was drunk. Literally drunk. And so it was, it was this such, I mean, it, I, I, had, I had surgery mm. in a way. And it was like this, it wasn't about what I went through, that I spoke in tongues or that I wailed or that I cried. That wasn't, the, the experience wasn't um, what was necessary. It was the outcome. It was the new heart that I now had. It was a heart that no longer relied upon trying to, trying to figure things out my, myself. It was the, the wound that I had was no longer there. Mm. Two, fast forward two years later, okay, so what would be the perfect outcome to this story? I, you know, what, the perfect outcome would be, or in my mind, I would have a, a new relationship with my father, my dad, right? And this would be this beautiful thing and we would forgive each other. That wasn't the case. My daughter was born two years later. Um, she had open heart surgery the day after she was born. Two hours after her heart got closed, I got a call saying your dad passed away. And, uh, you know, if I hadn't gone through the healing that I had, if I hadn't been, found, my foundation wasn't in who the reality of God was, yeah. there's a couple of, uh, who knows what self-destruction would have happened. Yeah. Um, my, father, my, my mantle of fatherhood now doesn't come from my own abilities. It comes from, from God. Yeah. And so if I would have fathered my daughter trying to make up for what my dad didn't do for me, that would have been disastrous. I would, have, I would have done the same thing my dad did. And God healed me of that yeah. in order to give me a new heart for, for fathers and um, for giving people a, re, a reality of heaven. 
So I felt compelled, obligated to pray for people and to have them experience, not experience what I experienced, but to, to know that heaven is for real. Heaven is, is here. Heaven is, exists now. The, the healing, the restoration, the renewal, the, 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 um, the embodiment, the power happens here and now. And the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He does not take you anywhere that you do not want to go. He's not going to embarrass you. And that's what I, I feel. You know, I was not embarrassed by that situation. Um, I was healed. And that's the reality that we live in. And we have to be uh, a community, uh, a church that empowers people for mission and for renewal and for restoration. And that's, that's, uh, that's my story. Awesome. Thanks for sharing, John. Beautiful. <laughs> So even listen to how he tries to describe the event, it was like my heart was ripped out. I got hit by lightning. I mean, uh, we try to describe these experiences, and they're difficult. And those that experience it get it. And those that haven't on the outside, probably criticizing. You know, I was the guy that's like, if there was a hint of, like, tongues, I was like, there's got to be order. We've got to have order here. <laughs> what are you talking about? They have no idea what they're For most people that say that, they've never experienced the gifts. Yes, there's order. Because there's life. I want life in our church, you know. What, so what happens? How do we, when we get filled, uh, what happens when you are filled with the Holy Spirit today? Well, I just want a couple of observations and I'll close with this, okay? First of all, God does something in you. God does something in you. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, I think the best way to describe it is that you are, are filled with this sense of contentment. That you are loved just as you are, not as you should be. And if you hear any other word spoken to you other than, I love you, it's probably not the voice of the Spirit. And so, when we're filled with the Spirit, He fills us with joy and contentment and peace and rest and, and love and hope. And, and, and when we're filled with the Spirit, we become aware of God in our life. We become, as John's dialoguing and is this experience, he's dialoguing, God, where were you? And God's speaking truth to the lies. When we're open to God and he begins to fill us and, and minister to us uniquely, he, 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 we become aware of not only of ourselves, but of God and truth in our life. So for me, at times, the, when, I, when, I, um, when I'm experiencing God's filling, filling me up, because Paul will say, be filled with the Holy Spirit. When, when you gather as a church in Ephesians chapter five, 5, it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's the perfect present tense for be filled. It means be continually filled or keep on being filled. filled. It's not something that happens once and for all. It's a continual process. Every time we wake up in the morning, when I grab the Bible to do devotions, I, my first prayer is, God, would you fill me with your spirit today? Because I leak. <laughs> I leak a lot. <laughs> How many of you leak? Anyone? Okay, because no one else laughed. You're like, oh, yeah, me too. Um, I'm that dry sponge. But when we're filled, we become aware of God in our life, and we become aware of our own brokenness. We become aware of sin. We become aware of, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, as Isaiah says. And he starts bubbling up these things, and we become aware of pain in our life that he wants to fill with love and peace and healing if we're open to him. I have this image that I pray over people all the time, and it's not special, but almost every time I pray for someone, you think I have like this secret sauce. I don't. Um, but I literally have this image of people sitting in a room as kids. I see them as a kid sitting in a room alone, and the door is locked. And I just pray, hey, Jesus walks into your childhood, and he just wants to sit down with you. And what does he say? 
And for whatever reason, that boom, tears or whatever, you know, whatever it is for that person, it just connects their soul. And so I think the Spirit does that for us. He comes in and, and deals with that stuff. He, he does something in us. He helps us. And, and when people start experiencing stuff, the, the phenomenon is, is usually like tears. People experience tears. People experience joy. And, and they start laughing. People get sad. They, they don't get sad necessarily, but they, they feel the pain and they want to weep and wail. Some of us just get this sense of peace and we just want to chill out and sit down and breathe deeply. Some of us uh, feel a sense of expanding, like, like whoa, there's this, we have these experiences that we try to explain with language, but you just got to experience it for yourself. Are you with me? And then, God only, not only does something in you, but He does something through you. And when we're filled with the Spirit, we first experience that contentment and that peace. But God turns all that joy when we're, we're experiencing joy and peace and love and faith and hope. We can't help but try to give it away. We can't help but see something wrong and try to be a part of the solution. We become uh, persons that, that want to pray for healing. Like John, John wanted to pray for people all over the place to experience deep inner healing of their old wounds so that they could be freed from their past to live in the present and help others into their future. That's what he does. We become people that walk into rooms and change the temperature because we change the culture at Starbucks. We become people that can listen to the Spirit and have words of knowledge and say, hey, I, I think this about you, and have no clue where it came from, but it becomes the entry point for someone receiving Jesus. This happens all the time for those that are willing to be open to the Spirit of God in their lives. God does something in you, and then He does something through you. He wants to empower you and equip you to preach, to teach, to do the gifts, to, to, to continue this thing on and to be his witnesses. And so that's part one of part, a two-part sermon. Part one is that we are all invited to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we become people of presence and power. Do you want it? Do you want that? Do you want what I'm talking about? Do you want to, if for those of you that connect with this, this odd illustration, do you want to be saturated with the source of life? For those of you that are thirsty, Jesus is not wine for a connoisseur. He is water to the dying of thirst. You don't need another lecture. You don't need another podcast. You don't need another worship event. You don't need another sermon. You need the presence of God in your life. That is the only solution to being used what you're used for. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.